Welcome, listeners, to the Light of the Spirit podcast with Abbot George Burke. My name is Jonathan Mahoney, and I am here with Abbot George. Abbot George, could you tell us the difference between Satan and Mara and how we should respond to outer and inner evil and negativity? Satan and Mara, they're of such a different character, but that doesn't mean they're not very much the same or not even part of the same force. See, in Mara, it's an, a temptation kind of thing. See, it was Satan who came to Jesus and said, you know, if you're Christ, then make the stones turn into bread and all this stuff, and then say, oh, then jump off the pinnacle of the temple and see if the angels will save you. And, and Jesus, of course, quite sensibly, there was no great big deal of an exorcism. He just said, get out of here. <laughs> and actually, when he spoke to uh, St. Peter, he said, get away, you Satan, you offend me. And, and that was it. It was very short and not sweet. Though Mara was tempting Buddha, Mara was saying, think of all these things, showing them just the way Satan showed things to Jesus. Mara did, whereas Satan's was more of a testing. If you are this, then do that. Hers was, don't you want these things? Wouldn't you like these things? Don't you remember these things? So why not return to them, you see? So it's an enticement. Seduction, we can actually say. Whereas Satan is a more blunt kind of end of the stick that is attempting to just stop a pose. The other is to draw a person and draw them away from the state in which they become established. Of course, you see, neither Satan nor Mara, because in a sense, Mara and Satan are just different aspects of the same negativity, could understand what Buddha was or understand what Jesus was. They had no idea. For example, you and I would not think of taking a nail and trying to poke a hole in a rock because we know it can't be done. So they were like blind forces on a certain level. Again, we're not talking about Lucifer, you see. So they were kind of blind negative forces who had no reasoning as such but they could have a terrible effect. You could say, well, how was that different according to each one, either Buddha or Jesus? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but there was, of course, that difference in the approach, but the effect was to be the same. Okay. Stop being and doing what you're being and doing. Okay. There's a very interesting sacred text in India called the Sri Durga Shaptashati, which usually they just call the Chandi. And it gives accounts of three manifestations of the mother goddess as a conqueror of evil. It's quite remarkable. And there are hymns there that are really marvelous. It just, not only just in the things they say, but it has an in incredible psychic effect when recited, even when listened to. A recording has amazing effects. Uh, we have a recording of the Chandi. Not really the full Chandi, but 
dramatizations of part of the Chandi. And some of these prayers are there. Not only the meaning, meaning's quite beautiful, it has a phenomenal, phenomenal effect. And uh, in it, one account is how the goddess manifested and she is basically on a battlefield where the army is all composed of demons. Okay. And she's going around cutting their heads off, but the severed heads keep saying, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> well, she's not going to stop, obviously. But it is a symbol that when Mahashakti begins her transformative work, which has to include the dissolving of negativity or even the dismantling of negativity within us, there still will be a resistance. Oh, once you quit it. For example, there was a very interesting book a friend of mine had that was a book of prayers that people really said. What they really said in their hearts, not what sounded good in church or in public. And what about the shortest prayer was, Oh God, won't you stop this horrible experiment of trying to make people like Christ? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, let up. Ouch. It's like there was a, a joke in our family uh, that when my aunts had been, oh, beginning teens or so, this woman came to visit my grandmother and brought her daughter along. And her daughter was a, one of these kind that when they get to a certain age, they just start being snitty and rude to everybody. And they start just mocking people and just be completely, they're very, very much a display of just being nastiness and contradictory. And this girl was in this phase, and finally her mother had had enough, and although she was herself, perhaps 13 or 14 years old, the mother did the, you know, spanking at that time was quite the norm. Yeah. So the mother literally grabbed a hold of her daughter and put her over her lap and started really whacking away <laughs> on her rear end. And the daughter kept saying, Mother, you're hurting me, Mother. Mother, Mother, you're hurting me. <laughs> so from then on in my family, if one of my aunts did or said something that another of my aunt wouldn't like, but of course she knew they wouldn't like it, the protesting aunt would say, you're hurting me, Mother. So, so they were kind of like that. Ouch, ouch, <laughs> when, when the ouch was the purpose of the Davy. So there is this resistance. Okay. And, of course, there is a temptation to us. Why don't you let up for this reason, for that reason? And if you dare to, you're lost. You lose that battle, at least. I don't mean you're damned. You're lost. It's finished. That... That ability to be strong. You see, resistance makes you strong. The more the wind blows, the deeper the roots of a tree grow. If there wasn't much of, of wind, trees would have very shallow roots. They wouldn't need them. So as you know, just from the standpoint of exercises, there are these resistance 
exercises. Yep. The resistance. That's my area of yeah, expertise. <laughs> the resistance makes stronger. So. Yes, yes, it does. So, if we're fortunate and have the right will, the resistance that is thrown against us, both internally, because in fact the internal enemy is the most dangerous because, well, it comes from us and we're susceptible. And this is why a person has to be ruthless in dealing with their own inner weaknesses and their inner failings and their inner pull toward the abandonment of what is right and the taking up of what is wrong. Because if you cannot resist your own ego that is the Satan within you, how will you manage? So also when you're dealing with outside forces, well, they're outside you. They're not at least a part of you. So if you can't stand up against them, how are you going to stand up against your own inner Satan, your own inner Mara that uh, says, but take it easy for a while and so on. You won't be able to resist it. So the truth is the people who oppose us outwardly or the forces that oppose us outwardly or the situation that opposes outwardly, they are, first of all, our friends because it's going to make us stronger when we resist them, when we won't give in. I one time spoke at a yoga retreat back in the days of the yoga boom. Now, the disciples of the guru were running an organization in the guru's name that was making them money and enabling them to live a very cushy life, plus, as senior members of the organization, to bully and boss around other people, all right? Okay. So one evening at the yoga retreat, I realized, you know, there's just something that has got to be said about self-destructive spiritual actions and so on. I won't get more specific than that uh, because it would be too long anyway. So I, I laid it all right out. Okay. So then when I was back at the place where I was staying, in comes the head man that was one of the, he was a senior disciple of Guruji. And he again was living off of the income uh, of the organization and was a bully, and because he was one of the first disciples, well, he theoretically had some authority, and he went just telling people around what to do. He was used to it. So the door flies open. It didn't just open. And in he comes. Let's call him super disciple, like I talk about super gurus. Super disciple said, not good, Swamiji. Not good at all. I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> so he began this long deal at how there were people who were upset about what I had said. And there were two people who were crying about it. <laughs> and I said, well, that's their misfortune. Yeah. They feel guilty. What I said is true. And what I said is destructive. And if they and other people do not stop this negative type of behavior 
and this whole negative orientation of mind, they're going to know far more suffering than just feelings upset and hurt because somebody dared to put a finger on their sore, etc., etc. So out went Super Disciple. Well, in a short while, I went to another retreat about half the continent away, also sponsored by the same organization. And so, in about the middle of the retreat, Super Disciple showed up. <laughs> and he starts in again about this thing and the talk I had given that night. And I said, listen, the truth is the truth and you know it's the truth. You're not reprimanding me because I said something that wasn't true. You're reprimanding me because you're afraid I'm losing you business. And that's it. You know, I have said it. I will say it. You don't have to ever have me come and talk at any functions you have. But know this, you will perhaps hear this very thing if you ever ask me again. So he got up, he walked out, he got in the car, he drove away. I learned from the person who was driving, Super Guru, that he drove to the nearest pay telephone <laughs> and called the headquarters of this yoga group. And as soon as someone answered, he just said, I can't budge him. I can't make him move. There's nothing we can do about it. And he hung up and then <laughs> drove on. If I could not stand up against a little half hippie who was thoroughly ignorant of spiritual life and spiritual principles because the guru had not told him anything. I didn't know at that time that the guru was this worthless. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been talking. If I couldn't stand up against him, some bully, am I going to stand up against the ego? Am I going to stand up against the forces of my negative karma? And if the cosmic forces think that I'm worth bothering with, which is highly unlikely, and they start pulling at me, invisible forces, evil spirits, well, how am I going to resist? How am I not going to just crumble? So you understand that you're just sharpening the blade on the whetstone when you have all kinds of external opposition. And you're getting the sword sharp enough that you can go in and start cutting off the heads of the demons that have been living in there much too long. And of course, by that, I mean negative traits, negative attitudes, you know, in other words, yeah. what we've allowed our own emotions and our minds and like to get us into. Okay. You see, it's a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle. And you've got to be ready to do battle. You've got to be ready to cut off some heads. Maybe shoot a few cannonballs through the inner and the outer. That's evil. You see, one of my great-grandfathers, all four of my great-grandfathers were abolitionists and they lived in the South. When the Civil War came, they left the South and they went to the North and they joined the Union Army. Now, my great-grandfather, whose name I bear, of course, they gave him a uniform and so on then. 
they gave, they handed him a gun. He said, oh, no, I can't take your gun because I'm a minister. He was a Baptist minister. He said, I'm a minister. I could not shoot and kill anyone. Well, here's a man enlists in the army that announces he won't shoot a gun. And, of course, the person trying to give him the gun logically said, then why did you enlist? And he said, because I have to stand up and be counted against this great evil. And by that evil, he meant slavery. So he stayed in the army, by the way, and he cooked and he cleaned and he carried things and he helped out, but he never shot a gun. Now, that was noble of my grandfather and I'm proud of him, but it won't work for me or you in spiritual life. You got to fire that gun. Okay. You got to fire that gun. And you got to be ruthless, you see. People are often uh, led into either tolerating uh, you know, or permitting wrong things going on because the people doing the wrong things are whining and whining and acting like, oh, you're, again, you're hurting me, mother. But you have to have no mercy on yourself. Because you're in there for reconstruction, really reconstruction, such as was never known in the South after the Civil War. The reconstruction we're talking about is far higher in its character and therefore even at times more difficult. So when the Israelites came back from captivity, and they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem because there were enemies coming against them at the same time. You read this in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah. They literally built the walls of Jerusalem while carrying a sword in one hand. Wow. So they built and they were ready to kill at the same time. And this is an apt symbol. You have to be constructive of what is positive and destructive of what is bad. And it has to be your evaluation of it, not somebody else's evaluation. You have to see what's positive, what's negative, what you've got to keep and foster, and what you've got to ruthlessly get rid of. Because the tiger cub that you can fondle like a kitten today is in a while going to be a tiger that will literally bite your head off and drink your blood. So it is true. You've got to get them before they get you. So it's kind of like think of your ego as a tiger feigning to be a tiger cub. Yeah, you bet. That's right there. Indeed, indeed. It is no easy thing. If you don't come through with battle scars, you haven't come through. <laughs> so you haven't won. Jesus came to this earth and he left this earth with pierced hands and feet and a wounded side and a head scarred from a crown of thorns. Yep. He was willing to do that. We have to be willing to do it. Not for others. Now, he was purely holy, so he did it for others. 
But let's not be silly. There are certain ways you imitate holy people and certain ways you don't. And you don't pretend to be what they really are. So you have to be ready to go through this and have the nerve and the ability to go through it. And often when you do that, then you don't have to go through it. Okay. See, when your will has been perfected, when the will has been made strong, then you don't need to go through the ordeal because you've already strengthened yourself. This is an important thing also. See, it's not easy, and that's why the very, very interesting, kind of esoteric British poet, Christina Rossetti, she wrote a short poem, and it opens with a question and an answer. Will the road wind uphill all the way? Yes, to the very end. Like, indeed, they said to my great-grandfather, what did you enlist for? Well, that worked in his context, but it doesn't work for the yogi. Okay. You shoot him dead. And that means your own inner... <laughs> your inner ego, your other inner Other people are very good at exposing, straightening out other people, but you got to straighten yeah, out yourself. It's all about yourself. It's all about yourself. Okay. Thank you. And if you do have to straighten somebody out externally, it's for your own good as well as theirs. Okay. But mostly, of course... You leave negative people alone. Let them let them do what they want to do. You say, why should you bother? What does it mean to you? Yeah. You live your life. You see, uh, there were people like a woman named Carrie Nation who would go into saloons or go into liquor stores and break all the bottles, okay? You don't crusade. If they want to have the liquor bottles and get drunk, let them have the liquor bottles and get drunk. As long as it's not in your room where you meditate, as long as it's not where what affects you, let them go. You have free will, and you've decided to exercise it to realize the divine self. They have free will, and they've decided they want to find a way to get in a con game or a business by which they could get money out of other people and then buy all the stuff they want. Let them do it. Yeah. I say, oh, nay, do not, do not. There is a pretense. People who make nuisances of themselves by pushing their ideas on other people, the idea is like, I care for them too much. Uh, they're suffering. They don't know it. And da 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 I want to help them. And there is a joke that I heard back when I was a Boy Scout because one of our mottos was, do a good turn daily. And it was kind of a cliche talking about helping old ladies across the street. Yeah. And so we Boy Scouts had the joke about the scout that came to the scout meeting and he was all scratched up and had bruises and his scout uniform was torn in places. And he came limping in and the scoutmaster said, well, what happened to you? And he said, I helped an old lady across the street. Well, the scoutmaster said, well, how'd you get like this? He said, she didn't want to go across the street. So, okay, yes. There's a verse in the Bible, Ephraim is joined to idols. This is the Old Testament. Old Testament is really, really 
talks a lot about idols and opposes idol worship. But this says, a friend is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Okay. But you have to know when. Why Solomon said a time to speak, a time to keep silent. So know this, you did not come to this world to straighten out other people. You came to this world to straighten out yourself. And that's what we should be doing. Okay, thank you yes. very much. <laughs>